Welcome to Adventology, the podcast dedicated to helping you be ready for Jesus. Here now is the host of Adventology, Travis Walker. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Adventology. As you know, everything we do on this podcast is designed to help you be ready for Jesus. And in today's episode, I'm really excited to be covering a couple of very important topics with you today, including the first messianic prophecy found in the Bible, as well as the fallacy of dispensationalism. But before we get into that, I just want to remind you that if you have a question or a comment, you can always reach out to me. You can email me at travis at adventology.com or you can message me on my Instagram, at Pastor T. Walk. I would love to connect with you wherever you are at, and feedback from these episodes is much appreciated. And for sure, I will answer your question on a future episode. We don't have any questions in the mailbag today, so let's get right into our topic the first messianic prophecy. And we find this prophecy right in the beginning of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. So let's go there and start in verse 14. The Bible says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So as you can see, this prophecy comes in the context of a judgment that falls on the serpent after he tempts Adam and Eve into sin. And the significance of this judgment is not necessarily evident unless we understand exactly what the consequence of the fall really cost Adam and Eve, specifically in regards to how it affected their nature. Now, before the fall, we know that Adam and Eve had a perfect nature. Their body was a perfect reflection of God himself. They were made in his image. And uh, their character, their heart, was in harmony with the law of God. So inwardly and outwardly, they perfectly reflected their maker. But after the fall, of course, their bodies changed. We know that they no longer had access to the tree of life, and so their bodies became subject to disease, decay, and ultimately death. But worse than that even was the change that took place in their hearts. Their hearts changed from being in harmony with God to being at enmity with God. And the Bible describes this change of nature as the sinful nature or the flesh nature. And uh, we can read about this nature in the New Testament. Paul talks a lot about it. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, he says, "...because the carnal mind is enmity against God." Or is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
Now, this is significant because so many people have tried to keep the law of God while living in the flesh at the same time. And this has resulted in either one, them lowering the standard of the law in order to pretend like they're keeping it, or getting to the point where they become so discouraged that they give up altogether. And so we find Romans 7 is kind of an example of someone who is about to give up, someone who's trying so hard to live up to the law, but not able to do it. And Paul says in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. Oh, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so there's this cry that goes up from his heart. He wants to be in harmony with God, but he can't. In his own power, he is powerless. And this is truly the condition that the fall brought humanity into. We became prisoners of sin, prisoners of Satan, prisoners of self. And yet here in this first messianic prophecy, we find a little bit of hope. Because God says that he would put enmity between the serpent and the woman. Now, what does that mean? What does this enmity mean? Well, there are lots of different ways we could look at it, I suppose, but the easiest way for me to explain it would be the idea that God is placing within us a desire for right, even though we can't attain that goodness and holiness and righteousness. He places the desire for it in our hearts nonetheless. And so we see that He does that through the power of our conscience, right? The conscience convicts us of right and wrong. And uh, the conscience is another work of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus described the work of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 8, when he said, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. In other words, the work of the Holy Spirit through the conscience was to convict us of what is right, what is wrong, and that there is going to be a reckoning, that there is going to be a judgment day where we are going to have to speak for the things that we have done in the body. Now, what would give God the right to do this for us? That's the question. Because right here we see God is intervening, even though we have become slaves of Satan, God's saying, no, 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 I'm not giving you full control. And the reason I'm not giving you full control is because Jesus Christ, my son, has pledged his life for the sins of the world. And so essentially what we see here is that God, because of Jesus' promise to die for our sins, he is able to give us a second chance, a second probation, so to speak. And uh, the Bible tells us that because of this promise, that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, verse 8. That means that the cross of Calvary extends in both directions extends back all the way to this moment when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and it extends all the way to the future 
until the last person makes their decision to be saved or lost right before he comes again. So even though the cross wasn't going to take place till 4,000 years after the fall, because he promised his life, essentially the grace of God, the merits of the cross began to be applied immediately on behalf of mankind, therefore giving them a choice, a choice to choose who they would serve, God and surrendering their life to him or the flesh and essentially becoming a puppet under the control of Satan. And so when we look at this prophecy, we see that the one who was going to accomplish it was the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman was going to ultimately come and crush the head of the serpent. But before he crushed the head of the serpent, of course, the serpent would wound the seed of the woman. And thus, we are looking forward then to that point in time when Jesus, yes, did receive that deadly wound from the serpent, but ultimately rose again on the third day to conquer the devil permanently and give his people victory over sin, not just in this life, but in the life to come throughout eternity. And so we read about this victory actually in the book of Revelation. I love it because Revelation chapter 12 really is pointing us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And the woman giving birth to the male child who ultimately is taken up to heaven and rules the nations with a rod of iron is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Genesis 3. That child is the seed of the woman. And ultimately, because of his victory, we find that the devil is permanently cast out and his fate is secure. And so we find this interesting text in Revelation 12, verse 12, which says, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. And so this is the reality of the world we live in today. We live in a world where the devil knows he is lost, he knows he is defeated, but he's doing everything in his power to prevent us from knowing this truth. He wants you and I to believe that he still has power over us. And unfortunately, the truth is that he does if we allow him to have that power. But the Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So if knowing the truth points you to the Savior, points you to that realization that you don't want to live in the flesh anymore, that you don't want to be controlled by the sinful nature, that you don't want to be at enmity with God, that you want a new start, a new life. You want freedom from sin, freedom from doubt and fear and anger and lust and laziness and all the different sins of the flesh that we get caught up into. If you want freedom, that freedom is available to you. And the Bible tells us why that is the case in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I love that. So the moment we make a choice, 
We are no longer ruled by the flesh, but we get a new nature, a nature that reflects the divine nature. It's the Spirit of God that dwells in us. That's why the Bible tells us over and over again that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, because when the Holy Spirit is living in you, you receive the gift of the divine nature. You receive the gift of being set free from the flesh. You therefore have no condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus, friend. That is good news. That is the news that should and hopefully will convince you to surrender your life to Jesus today. And by faith, letting that old man die on the cross of Calvary with Jesus and coming up on the third day like he did in the newness of life. And so this is why dispensationalism is bankrupt. Now, you may not be familiar with the term dispensationalism, but it essentially is a doctrine that teaches that there is more than one way to be saved, that Jews are saved one way and Christians are saved another, that people before the cross were saved one way and people after the cross are saved another way. But the seed of the woman is the same both before the cross and after the cross of Calvary. It's Jesus. Notice how Paul makes this abundantly clear in the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. And so we can see that the promise that was given in Genesis chapter 3 concerning the seed of the woman was just passed down to Abraham. It's the same prophecy, but ultimately we see in Galatians that the seed isn't many, the seed is one. It's Jesus. The promises of God were not given to the nation of Israel. They were given to the seed of Abraham, which is Christ. Now, we see that Paul really is making this a point in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So that means every single prophecy in the Old Testament, every single prophecy given to Abraham, every promise given to the patriarchs and prophets and kings of the Old Testament concerning Israel were promises given, in fact, to Jesus himself. And therefore, everyone who is in Christ also receives those same promises. And so that means when you read the Bible today, my friend, when you're going through the Old Testament and you find a promise and it says that this promise was made to Israel, no, friend, that promise was made to Christ. And you can claim that promise as your own when you accept Christ into your heart. There is no difference whether you are in the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was simply looking forward to the cross, while in the new covenant, we are looking back in faith. But both covenants are looking forward in faith, looking in faith to the coming Messiah or the Messiah that has already come. But by grace, you have been saved by faith. 
not of works. It is the gift of God has always been the way that anyone who is saved is saved. And that is why the woman is both representing the people of God in the Old and the New Testament. The woman is essentially the church, the people of God. And these are the people of God throughout all ages. So when you become part of the woman, the bride of Christ, the one that Christ is coming back for, the one that he gave himself for, the one that the Bible says we become one with through is the same for all time. That's why we find later in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I love that, right? So no matter where you were born, when you were born, how you were born, if you have Jesus, if you believe in him, then you are heirs to the promises of God. There's not two ways to be saved. There's not three ways. There's not four ways. There's only one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ. All right, well, again, if you have any questions about anything we covered on today's episode, I want to encourage you to reach out to me again at Travis at Aventology.com. If you were blessed by this episode today, let me encourage you to rate and review us. Five-star ratings are much appreciated. And if you can go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and write a one or two-sentence review about how you were blessed, that will only help others find this podcast as well. And if you were blessed by today, wouldn't you want others to be blessed by it as well? All right, so what does today's episode have to do with being ready for Jesus? Well, the book of Revelation calls us all to become a part of God's true followers, symbolized by the woman of Revelation 12, who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And dispensationalism teaches that the church will not have to go through the end times And therefore, they do not have to keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Adventology. Be ready for Jesus. Speak life, live love. And until next time, Maranatha. We gotta stay awake because nobody knows a day or time. No, the trumpet's gonna blow and the skies are gonna open wide.
Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back.